Hi, thanks for downloading the Tabletop Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Jarvis. This is part two of our UK Games Expo series of podcasts recorded on location in Birmingham's NEC on the 2nd of June. Joining me today are three of the writers and reviews for the magazine, Owen Duffy, Dan Jolin and Sam Illingworth, who tell me what's caught their eye at this year's convention. If you missed yesterday's roundup with James Wallace and Richard Jansen Parks, it can still be downloaded via iTunes, Stitcher and Podcast.com. If you're at this year's UK Games Expo, you can grab a special subscription deal just at the show, including five issues of the magazine for a fiver, plus a goodie bag worth over £45. You'll also be able to grab the latest issue of the magazine, including the 150 greatest games of all time, as voted for by you. Simply head over to Stand J18 and Hall 1 during the weekend. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to day two of the Tabletop Gaming uh, series of podcasts from UK Games Expo. Uh, if you joined us yesterday, you'll have heard from James Wallace and Richard Jackson parks discussing what they've seen at the show so far. And today we're joined by three more writers for the magazine and general all-round you know, gamers and just brilliant people, really. So I'm really excited to have them here. Uh, I'm Matt Jarvis, I'm the editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine, and sitting to my left is Dan Jolin. Hello, Dan. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Coping. Coping, getting through it. Haven't got too excited. Haven't wet myself yet. Nice. Well, it's not a show until you've wet yourself, really. <laughs> Owen, how are, you? how are your underpants today? They're, they're fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for asking. Um, yeah, I am uh, tired and sore and generally doing all the things that show that you're having a good time at a convention. Excellent. And so that's Owen Duffy. He, uh, you'll know him from the How We Made features in the magazine and also places like The Guardian and things like this. And uh, you've got a book on board games coming out as well. Yeah, uh, that's uh, pretty exciting. I'm working with um, a couple of people, including Richard from the magazine, including Matt Thrower, who people might know from places like Shut Up and Sit Down, and Terry Latorico from Geek and Sundry. Uh, so it's basically going to be like, a, I think the Beano Annual meets the uh, the Good Beer Guide, but for board games. Fantastic. And finally, we have a Sam Illingworth. You're, you're Dr. Sam Illingworth, correct? To I am Dr. Proper Sam title. Well, to keep my proper title, yes. Dr. Sam Illingworth's fine, yeah. But Sam amongst friends and gamers. Fantastic. I'll call you Sam, because I'll forget to call you Dr. <laughs> Doctor sounds a little bit like we're we're going to Comic Con here, um, but uh, you'll know Sam uh, from the Player Smart column, which is also in the magazine where he's joined by Paul Wake, and they break down things from an academic sort of perspective in terms of games. Absolutely, and you know, very very delighted to be here and representing both Paul and myself and the Games Research Network, and really excited to be UK Games Expo. I'm, you know, I'm just a day tripper today. Speaking later in one of the seminars about the importance and use of games in an educational context, which I'm really looking forward to and it's already been quite an exciting start to the day. Fantastic. And so we'll just dive straight into it. So who wants to go first? Who's seen the most exciting thing so far? Is there anything that's been really sort of blown you away? I had a really interesting chat with Martin Wallace just this morning. Um, he is showing off a preview, uh, kind of pre-production copy of his new game Wildlands, which is a kind of mini skirmish game um, as a board game rather than a kind of terrain war game type thing. Um, but it does some really interesting things with some kind of clever card play. It's really kind of fast, um, quite intuitive. And I think it could be pretty big. Um, plays in about half an hour with two players. So I'm excited to, to give it a try once it's in full production. Absolutely. Dan and I, we sat in yeah. on a demo of Wildlands as well. It was really interesting to see actually sort of Martin's take on, because you think of things like London or you think of things like, you know, Among the Stars and Brass. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't necessarily think of miniatures and, yeah. and skirmish games. Uh, and the thing that struck me was my uh, my son plays a lot of Overwatch. And I thought the, the sort of the terrain, the environment, the, everyone on the team having a different role it felt quite similar to, to what I see him doing with that so I think there could be a sort of 
crossover appeal there. It'll be interesting to see how it does. Mm. My, my thought was like it would be the kind of game that I could play with my kids quite happily. I've mm. got a son who's 12 and another one who's 8, and it looked like the sort of thing that, that would you know make them go crazy. They, they'd love it. So, uh, I'll be, yeah. I want to pick that one up. Yeah, I think <laughs> one of the, the interesting things it does is, although it's fantasy and it has kind of has some of those fantasy tropes, it has orcs, it has sort of gnomes or, and wizards, then the factions aren't necessarily just stuck to those races or species or, or anything like that. So whichever faction I was playing as, I can't remember the name of it, it had a sort of a Celtic warrior, it had an orc person, it had a werebeast um, so it seems that they're mixing those up and then the factions themselves are asymmetric and have different focuses so the one I was was very melee focused didn't have any range at all I think Dan yours was sort of more of an all-rounder something like that yeah yeah it seemed to be more kind of like uh, uh, trick tricksy tactics you know the, the based more on the interrupts that Martin yes, mentioned right. which seem to be an important dynamic when you play it I think where you can you know spring surprises lay traps and things like that on other players uh, but we didn't really have much you know a chance to get really <laughs> into it no, did we sadly I was itching I could feel my fingers yeah. twitching and Martin seemed quite confident I was saying to him there's been quite a lot of sort of arena battlers recently especially miniatures mm-hmm. because of Kickstarter and so I was asking I think it's been in the works for sort of a number of years but how he how he felt about just the sheer number of ones out there but he seemed pretty confident about you know the future of it and what he could bring to it and it sounded like he'd taken a lot out of it to strip it back and then was planning to build it up with expansions in the yeah. way that everyone does nowadays sure um, but yeah, it seems to have that, that really kind of fast playing core. And one thing that I found quite intriguing was that you can actually play as many cards and take as many actions as you like on your turn, but it means that you'll have fewer options the following turn. So it's really about kind of timing your, you know, timing your moves. When are you going to attack? When are you going to try and seize objectives? When can you do it without immediately being kind of interrupted and cut out by the opponent? So yeah, I'll be, I'll be very interested to give it some proper playtime. Sam, what's caught your eye so far? So I've been going between games that look interesting and games that I've backed on kick started to oh, just sure. to see how they're doing am I going to get this in and whether or not years? do I pull the money out now and back it in something else and one I, one I played this morning which was really fun was Sinister Fishes Villagers um, I don't think I've seen this it's just like a really it's on my hit list and I haven't got to it yet put it so on, put it on. Okay, it's really okay. G13 down right. in okay, uh, gotcha. one. Uh, it's really well demoed really straightforward card drafting mechanic the idea is that you're in a frontier village and you're trying to build up your village uh, by having like coopers and uh, I guess like milkmaids or milk people it's milkmaids actually and the idea is that you know if, if you've got a cooper you also need to have a metalsmith and uh, a lumberjack in there and it's quite nice it's you know a bit it's a bit of a you know a care bear thing in that you can kind of do your own thing whilst watching everybody else go along and so that was really really nice and I've been really impressed to be honest with how people have demoed games just in general um, someone must try to demo Twilight Imperium <laughs> 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 alright come out six hours of your day and we'll run for it <laughs> and they just look dead and it's at like 10 this morning so yeah um, and apart from that I mean I, I really enjoyed um, playing the um, Fallout Fantasy Flight which I haven't played yet and I'm definitely going to be buying that before I leave it was just really enjoyable and it was really nice because I was just I was like kind of hanging around by myself and there was this group of four wanting to play and I just jumped in before them and they let me play with them so it was, it was very nice yeah. and I, I won obviously yeah I definitely enjoyed the, the follow up I think the, I was saying to you the problem where it falls down is in the scoring mm. because they've tried to make it a competitive game so at the end you just sort of get victory points although I think some of the stars you can just straight up fail if things happen it felt really like um, a reworking of Mage Knight um, 
um, and in a way that it obviously can be played as a solo but it seems it's a lot more fun I think when you're with a group of people maybe not worrying about who wins or not yeah it's, it's got really really nice story mechanics a bit like you know this war of mine as well how mm-hmm. it's got that really nice bit of writing that's in between the quests that you're doing which is yeah. really great it's a really elegant way of handling story in, in that you have events and you have sort of branching options and, and so on but then that can add certain cards in so you might stop a woman kicking a dog at one point yeah, and that yeah, adds yeah. some cards in and then later on you find the dog and it joins you and that feels quite natural and manages to get some of that narrative stuff that we're seeing all around but in quite a way that doesn't feel heavy handed or kind of clunky at all yeah absolutely but, uh, yeah but throwing over to you Dan what else have you seen well, actually, over the Wildlands Talk, talking about you know, the narrative driven games I've just come from a demo of uh, Holding On The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr um, and um, it was uh, oh surname Fox Michael Fox that was it Michael Fox uh, one of the two designers of that uh, uh, talked talk me through it and uh, uh, revealed to me at the end uh, that Glenn Patterson who's a screenwriter who uh, wrote the film Good Vibrations yeah, actually yeah, yeah. like wrote the script Oh, wow. for the game so hmm. what the game's actually about is co-op and uh, you're playing nurses at a hospice or hospital or whatever and Billy's uh, had a heart attack and you're A trying to keep him alive but B trying to make him feel better about the life he's lived because he keeps sharing his memories with you so there's kind of the two strands of it is one is just maintaining his health yeah, yeah. but the other is and, and, and it's, this is an either or so you have to make calls on whether to look after him or try and draw information out of him in a way so uh, the other thing is to, to get his memories and they got this really sort of lovely uh, mechanism with it where you, you draw the cards for the memories but they're partial memories and you have to create a grid like a five by six grid and the memories come from five different time strands. So uh, the, the the ones with five bars on them are from his childhood. The ones with one bar on them are from uh, just recently. Um, and so you kind of you order them up, and they sort of each each strand presents a scenario, if you like. But you can't quite make it out. It's kind of the artwork on it's all slightly fuzzy and vague. So you have to kind of draw clear memories for him from him. So that's that's an, another sort of um, demand on you on top of that. And when you do, you actually can overlay the clear memories on the partial ones. And then suddenly something, there's a moment of clarity and you realise what he's been talking about. And I actually don't want to say, there was this amazing moment where you kind of saw that, that there was a street and there was a double-decker bus, but you couldn't really make much out. And then you laid the clear memory over it and the bus had a place name on it that located his memory in a real event oh, wow. from recent history, from actually from the 70s. But anyway, I won't go, go, won't go too much into it. Every event in the game is a real historical event. So, I mean, and, and this is kind of like at that sort of next level of games where, uh, uh, like Michael himself sort of said, it's like with comic books, you know, they started off being seen as for kids and then yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. like Sandman and you've got Mouse and things mm-hmm. like that. So this is kind of like that. So it's like this war of mine or fog of love in the sense of being more adult without, you know, that meaning rude. <laughs> I was going to say, it seems like, well, this war of mine is incredibly sort of mature and gritty. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess on this sort of micro scale, we've never at least I can't really think of a game that's handled such a sort of personal and emotional subject yeah. that closely this war of mine is you know incredibly serious and 
like I say, it deals with some really heavy subjects, but it's also, you know, it's dealing with an entire war, it's dealing with multiple people, mm. um, and those people feel like people, which is one of those games' greatest strength, but never just one person, this one very specific event and their entire life. Yeah. Uh, did it feel to you like it, it pulled it off in terms of the, the writing? Absolutely, the yeah, yeah. It was really interesting, because each of the, the memory fragment cards, you they have a bit of text, so it's, it's what Billy himself is saying. So someone reads that out, and then at the end of the round, you turn flip it over to reveal the, the, the picture so um, but also it's kind of got like worker placement elements except because it's cooperative one person is like the shift manager and they place the other players so their workers are the other players so and then the other players decide what they're going to do on that particular shift um, do you think that narrative like these, these narrative games I think are about to explode though like given what's happened in the video game industry with like what's in Edith Finch um, you know games of that ilk that enable you like that come from the indie developments that have got that really yeah. amazing narrative side of things yeah like Life is Strange exactly well. Life yeah. is Strange is yeah. another really ex- yeah. good example I mean has anyone played Consensical before no. so which is have you played that game I know of it but I haven't yeah. played it so it's like the game that's about sex um, but it's about an alien and a human being having it and like it comes from like that it comes from that weird idea of tentacle sex in that like Japanese manga but it turns it into this really beautiful thing and it, it's like a really great so what's not beautiful about <laughs> tentacle sex what's wrong with you but it's this really great example I think of the way tabletops are going exactly games are going exactly what you say that it's these narrative games enable us to de- demonstrate that they're not for kids and it's actually you know games are this amazing thing of bringing people together and enabling them to have deep engagement and like genuine conversations yeah. and I, I'm so excited to play that game did, did they talk about like when it's going to be re- released o- October October, October. Wow. Um, and it's I think it's two to four players possibly five I didn't quite catch that no solo mode but they're working on that because it's cool. different they have different scenarios yeah, for yeah, it yeah. I think I, I'm not sure if it's different lives or they just uh, you know exactly how deep it goes whether Billy is effectively a different person each time except he's always called Billy I'm not sure but uh, they haven't uh, done the solo mode for all the scenarios yet but I, th- I think that will come as a possibly as an add-on I'm, I'm not sure yet but uh, I find that so interesting um, I love that all this narrative focus is coming into tabletop at the moment and I think it's actually going to be one of the things that draws more people than we've ever seen before mm-hmm, into absolutely. the hobby um, but what also pleases me is that you know as this narrative stuff comes in it's not defaulting to the standard kind of fantasy sci-fi elements we're seeing people doing really mature really well developed really artistic things. I mean, even if I think of something that did kind of go down the, the fantasy tropes line, like a legacy of Dragonholt, mm-hmm. um, I was really impressed by the fact that that was a really kind of snappy, well-told story with, you know, strong uh, strong female characters with LGBT themes in there. I mean, people are bringing stuff into the hobby that represents the, the community, not just the mm-hmm. sort of narrow definition of what games can be. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, I actually saw a game yesterday, uh, the old Hellfire Club. I don't know if any of you have come across it. Um, I've, I've been to the Hellfire games. <laughs> <laughs> but this is based on I don't know if it's it's related to it it's based on old Victorian um, sort of I think you're members of a Victorian secret society and you're essentially just getting drunk in a bar the cool. theme is similar to something what's it called, like sorry? Uh, the old Hellfire Club that's amazing um, right. but the theme is very similar to something like the extraordinary adventures of Baron Munchausen yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, James Wallace's RPG storytelling party game sort of thing um, but this is a card driven game um, so instead of just trying to one up each other um, going around in a circle making up a sentence you actually have cards that are numbered and so it's not too different to something like the mind actually but yeah. it's not as much of a challenge in that way and it's competitive in that someone can play a card and it will be a real 
person or event or object or, or theme from the Victorian era and they will play it down and it will have a number and they can tell a bit of story about it and essentially make up a story but then someone can undercut them and that essentially will then serve as evidence against their story so if you're trying to weave a story about I don't know a hat that you had that was incredible when you did something in a hat they could then throw in say a brush um, and basically distribute your story and try to prove you wrong so there is a, right. a card game there so you don't need to be and who's that who's that because uh, it sounds like something Jason Morningstar would do you know like it is a, like I say it's along those lines of like a very sort of social story driven thing wrapped around sort of more mechanical yeah. his name is Jamie something I can't remember the designer's name um, but linking to what Owen was saying one of the really interesting things he had done is while we were speaking he said um, although every single card is rooted in absolute accuracy all of these people existed everything wow. was based on so there's a there are suits of cards and one of them is capital offences um, so they're all things that you could be, um, you know, be serve capital punishment. His name is Jamie Frew, um, the designer's name. Thank you, Sarah. Um, <laughs> but um, capital offences, they're all based on reality. So, go, for instance, going out in or with a blackened face at night was capital offence in Victorian era. Um, but despite that, what he was saying is 50% of all the named characters are women. Um, 20% of all the named characters are black, Asian, Middle East, ethnic minorities. Um, and then he already has two LGBTQ expansions planned that will introduce extra mechanics into the game, but it's all rooted in the Victorian era. So despite the fact that in that era, you know, those sort of discussions weren't as prominent, a lot of those things were sort of pushed under the rug, so to speak. He's really making this big effort to get that diversity, even in a game that some would throw historical accuracy at, and there's no yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no way to sort of say that it's not historically accurate at this point. So that was really fascinating to see, and it seems like a sort of an incredibly fun game to play anyway. Do you think that like Kickstarters enable people, is helping to drive this as well, in that, you know, if you're an indie developer or just someone that's got a really great idea, but wants to make it diverse and open there's the ability for you to do that rather than having to like go through manufacturers etc I think we're definitely seeing that in RPGs particularly um, I mean if I think of some of the stuff that people like Avery Alder have done for example yeah. there's stuff there that might not seem commercially viable the, the first uh, the first look but certainly she has a, a kind of community around those games and that work um, and I think that by, able, by being able to go straight to that community for support that's that can only be a, a supportive thing uh, all right what else have you seen around the show floor? Who wants to, to dive in? I played the new Ticket to Ride. Ah, what did oh, you think? Wow. This is New York, right? Yeah, yes. New York. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It's very, very fast. We played it in about 15 minutes, and I think you could get it quicker than that once you know the map and the routes. The one thing that I thought might be a bit of a weak point is that, you know when Ticket to Ride, where somebody cuts off one of the routes that you need, and it's okay because you've still got 20 minutes to try and build around it in another way? You do not have that in this game. Um, And if someone takes the route you need, you hate that person for at least eight minutes afterwards. Um, But yeah, I mean, it does a good job of distilling that whole uh, sort of, uh, really kind of aggressive um, kind of root grabbing block the other person um, kind of element of Ticket to Ride into a, a very small very compact um, frame at um, it has much smaller roots you're also using really cute, cute little um 
plastic taxis rather than trains. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if people are looking for a quicker hit of what Ticket to Ride delivers, then that's it. It's just a question of how many people really want to to be able to play that in 15 minutes. Mm. It also has a slightly new mechanic as well, doesn't it? It has the sort of tourism aspect of you can build a route through the coins. Yeah. And essentially people will tip you for taking certain routes, which I yeah. thought was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So that, that effectively replaces the longest route token yes, in the yeah. game, and um, which makes sense because building the longest route around a, you know, a, <laughs> a board that has like 20 spaces on it, it seems uh, a bit of a big ask. Um, but yeah, um, so the idea is that these are different tourist locations around the city and that by linking them in a continuous chain, you'll be able to um, kind of generate more points at the end of the game. Um, and it does give you one extra level of kind of something to think about. Um, it means that, yes, you do want to get from point A to point B, but you might want to take quite a circuitous route and kind of maximize your, your points as best you can. Did anyone play Dominations? No, no, so, no, no. You mentioned that, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So, so this yeah. is a game by uh, Holy Grail Games, who I think did the the card game based on Medici, uh, Rona Canizia's Medici. Um, but this is, I think, it's coming to Kickstarter later this month. Uh, it's one of those games, you know, like everything on the yeah, show yeah, floor yeah. is coming to Kickstarter <laughs> later this month, or is currently on Kickstarter. But it's essentially a civilization building game. Um, but the thing it does that's really interesting is you gather resources with trionomos. So you're putting trionomos in the in the center, matching up these dots on the, the three corners. Mm. Um, and when you match them, you'll get certain bonuses for matching and they represent different parts of your culture. So it could be um, I don't know, just generally resources or, or culture aspects. But then you cash those in to build cities and then can benefit from other people putting trionomos down. Um, but you can also buy tech and tech is represented by square um, tiles that you then build a different grid of and they start to all connect together and they'll give you ongoing bonuses Um, and it's sort of it is a civilization builder game it's very sort of abstracted away from the the typical thing because your techs uh, I think you can buy them essentially in any order there's no tech tree that you need to unlock one to unlock the next um, but you can then upgrade them. Um, the only thing is, it was it was really good fun, but it seems like it could play very long. Yeah. We played one round and it took quite a while. There was a lot of sort of the classic analysis yeah, paralysis yeah, yeah. of where I put this to get the most points. And then as you're building this tech tree out and out now, I think there are three rounds. Each sort of represents 3,000 years, you know, a typical era. Um, but one of them took us quite a while and it seems like as you get more and more things that are um, so some of your techs allow you to get resources when other people collect resources so trying to pay attention to who's collecting what and what you're getting as they're getting things and all of this seems like it could just spin out and the whole thing might slow down Um, but from the the round we played as a demo it was really interesting and it was kind of like a fresh take on you know what is essentially a very old genre at this point and it's been done a million times but it was interesting to see a different kind of, you know, kind of puzzly tile placing uh, take on it. I, I always find that I'm really guilty of just being like, I know I like this kind of game, I don't like that kind of game, and I just go, yeah. I'll go to that. Well, I don't want to play miniatures because I can't have any more miniatures in my house, so I'm just <laughs> going to ignore that. And I, so I'm going to try and challenge myself later on to just go to a game that I absolutely would not normally do. I really want to play Fog of Love, yeah, but I need, I definitely need to. Like they were like, you need to bring someone with you because <laughs> oh, I've just started to grab someone. Yeah. Do you want to play this really intimate game with me? Just, uh, but I mean, it got a really good review in the magazine. Fog of Love is, yeah. I think it is 
a real achievement just really? in terms okay. of what it does in terms of good enough that my wife would enjoy that as a genuine present to take home from the UK Games Expo yes I think it's it's a funny thing because a lot of people think it's very much like a couples game because yeah. it has this romantic side to it but because you are you're essentially role playing it's sort of a framework for role playing within a board game um, but you could play it with anyone you could play it with a stranger and it would work perfectly fine because if you can embody a different character you know you're not going to take offence and with, yeah. with couples the nice thing is you're not going to take offence if they choose to do something because instead of being yourself you're a pilot with shaky hands or <laughs> yeah. you're a priest with some sort of other ailment so you always have sort of um, ailments and so certain traits that go among you you create a character out of sets of cards and then take them through acts and scenes oh, wow. like a film um, but yeah I think it's it's quite an incredible thing to play and it's a very good spectator game oh, uh, really? so we had friends yeah. over yeah. and they were just playing it and we would just watch and see them sort of have these discussions in their characters <laughs> and try and work it and try and justify why they did a certain thing in each scene um, but I think yeah Fog of Love is just it's brilliantly like, just original it kind of takes familiar things in terms of you're placing things down here and there you're tracking things it's got a bit of role playing but the way it mixes them all together with a theme that often is a bit clunky in board games and in games in general um, and it feels quite genuine and heartfelt and yeah and like a point genuinely emotional because you do get attached to your character awesome. and you think I want this relationship to succeed and then a point the other person has decided that it's a train wreck and they're getting out <laughs> while they can kind of thing um, so yeah, I would absolutely swing by Fog of Love. Sold. Right. Yes. Okay. The best character I have generated in Fog of Love is a macho priest with bedroom eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it, de- it definitely has that kind of thing of it veers from you know very sort of realist you can be like okay I can really believe in this thing to okay this is kind of you know it's getting towards surreal but, yeah. but in a way that again it works whatever for whatever reason it works it's kind of whatever odd couple you throw together it does a good enough job of making it work somehow yeah and I think it's interesting that even though it says romantic comedy on the box there are some really kind of poignant moments in there I mean there's an event card in there that says uh, one of the character's best friends just died you know so you've got the the opportunity opportunity for this full gamut of emotions you know it can be as, as silly or as serious as you want to make it uh, all right am I, am I allowed to say something from of yesterday course. is that allowed yes Cause, yes, cause yes, yes. Just, I mean you're only yesterday. on this once you're not allowed yeah. back on so <laughs> yeah. take the time where you've got it yeah well actually no I, I, so from yesterday there were two games that really impressed me but uh, both both historical and combat based both card games as well oh. so this is gladiators or should I say gladiatores I don't know it's gladiators with an ES on the end oh I, I don't know um, I won't even try and pronounce it okay so. okay so that that, that, that was really fun in that it, it was a game that actually did the card play really uh, replicated like one-on-one combat really nicely so it's kind of like trick-taking so you so one player would so you play with more than two players so you can have four players but each player when it's their turn chooses one person to fight which sounds quite boring for the other players but everyone's got something invested because everyone's secretly bet on someone to be the winner as well not necessarily themselves so you might secretly be rooting for someone or not um, and so you, you you attack to start, and then the other player, the, the attack card will have what you can defend against it, kind of written up the side. And then if the other player's got that kind of card, then they play that. Right. And then there's an option to go against that. So you're kind of like attacking, blocking, fainting, you know, and, and, and you get a real sense of it. And the other thing I liked about that was not only um, is it about winning and doing damage to people, but it's also about winning over the crowd. So that's where the petals come in. You get like these glory points, which are like little petals. 
that the crowd throw in. So, so you can do your sort of like Russell Crowe impersonation. And, exactly. You know. Are you not entertained? Yes. Um, so I thought I thought that was a lovely game. But I, I, uh, in terms of yesterday's, it was uh, 1066, Tears to Many Mothers. Yeah, this is the Hall on Hall. Yeah, amazing game. Tristan Hall, yeah, yeah. So, um, and yeah, so obviously Gloom, Gloom of Killforth is, you know, your fantasy quest. You know, this is uh, a one-on-one, um, you know, kind of, I suppose, Magic the Gathering-esque, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a closed deck. You, you just you're either the Normans or the Saxons and you've got your own deck and that's all you've got. Uh, and it's asymmetric because as they're getting to Hastings, they have different objectives. So each player is trying to complete separate objectives based on historical fact. The level of historical detail in that game is yeah. phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah I know. It's, it's nuts. And every card, I mean, obviously cards are repeated. There are certain cards that are repeated, but I actually, in, in the cards I played, I didn't get a single repeat and every card has its own specific function, its own artwork, its own flavour text which oh. gives you a bit of historical detail it's like honestly it's just like it, it goes deep doesn't it <laughs> I, I honestly because obviously Gloomy Kilforth made it into the top 10 last year I'm yes, predicting yes. that Tears to Many Mother will get into the top 10 again Tristan's right. doing really interesting and that's only work. his second game right I think Kilforth was his debut yeah, yeah. yeah. and then yeah. What, he's got the new one that's just on, just back on yes, that's that's well. yeah, 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 the like alien survival yes it's very alien yeah. Yeah. alien yeah. I was a really big fan of Tears to Many Mother so oh cool cool yeah yeah, yeah. Game, yeah. I was I wasn't playing you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was playing. I was playing the Saxons. So I kind of felt like I might be onto a loser. But you can. You can change history. And I think the. Game. I mean, I, I'm becoming a really big fan of asymmetric games as well. I mean, Vast, obviously, was amazing. Like the new Vast game that's just come out on Kickstarter looks looks incredible. Like rather than Crystal Caverns, you're like in a in a mansion, and like somebody plays a paladin, somebody plays a spider, somebody plays um, the mansion itself. And yeah. I just think that what they're doing with asymmetric games recently is really really interesting and they must be a nightmare to play test yeah they must be an absolute nightmare to play <laughs> yeah, test because yeah because people instantly scream there's no balance <laughs> yeah exactly and that's it. yeah. it's written off uh, if it takes more than sort of two games to get into sometimes that's that's it for people uh, but that actually leads nicely outside of the show I guess what you what you were looking forward to in the I guess the coming months the rest of 2018 Betrayal Legacy. That's it. Um, <laughs> speaking of balance, <laughs> I'm yeah. just so excited for that game. I'm intrigued to see yeah. how that goes down. I've, I, only, yeah. Yeah, I've only had one experience with Betrayal and it wasn't the best one. Uh, the whole idea of, okay, now somebody has to leave the room and go and read a second <laughs> room. Um, it didn't really work for my group, let's just let's just say that. But I'm keen to see what they do, if they address any of those issues. Um, and yeah, I'll definitely check out anything with Rob Davio's name attached to it. It's at least worth, uh, worth looking into. Yeah, I I do have a soft spot for betrayal. I'll admit, even though it appoints it, it can be a real dud. Some are broken, aren't they? Yeah. Some are broken. Some are just boring. You know, some are just not very well written. But then you end up with one where you're shrunk, shrunken down, and you're being chased by a cat, and you have to escape in a toy plane. And it's <laughs> it's my family's going to game. Yeah, like I think my family like sending people out of the room. I guess that's the <laughs> that's the difference. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So that I'm so excited about. Yeah. But speaking game. of Rob Davio, have you seen his? Yeah, his, that's his what team I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu. There's uh, a theme we haven't seen in gaming before. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and literally just called Cthulhu. Death definitely dies or something. Yeah. But it's not the most original of names. No, but I'm interested to see what they uh, what they do with it. I don't. There's not much information about at the moment about exactly what this game's going to do or going to be. Is there? No, it's, it's out of. Come on, 
uh, zombie, the Zombicide folks yeah. um, or the Zombicide studio and of course the Rising Sun and, yeah. and Blood Rage where uh, I predict it will have plastic minis yes I think they have already said <laughs> but I don't there's no mention of legacy no. stuff I don't think so. it's just done a Cthulhu game hasn't it with mansions of, with um, mountains of madness yes yeah so this is Rob Davio that's yeah, yeah. sort of a party game isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. It's it, really the Lovecraft theme put onto a party game is an odd <laughs> choice but um, I did play a bit of it at Essen and thought it was it was quite good fun it kind of did the the insanity stuff but the twist with uh, Death may die is that you start insane so oh, the description is very eldritch horrors you're a team of investigators you're trying to um you know fight evil thingamajigs um but you already start insane and the ritual's already going so it's kind of like the end game of eldritch horror where you've already like screwed everything up oh, and cool. it's coming to kill you um but it sounds like you'll get benefits sometimes for your insanity sometimes it'll be a bad thing um so i think that's about all they've said um, but it'll be interesting to see because they're two notable designers yeah uh, Mm-hmm. So if it's a legacy game with miniatures, what do you do? Like, you know, if, this, if, if oh, the miniature no. gets killed. Dan, what are you looking forward to for, for the rest of the show? You, know, you asked that question and I suddenly thought, oh my God, my mind's gone blank. I it's just honestly, I'm, I'm thinking, what can I think? I mean, I, it sounds really lame that 1066 is something I just, I have been looking forward to for a long time. I only got to play it for, a, you know, a few rounds. So I really do want to, to, to get deep in, into that. And um, and I'm still waiting for uh, Uwe, Uwe's new new one. Is it Rake Holt? Is it still called Rake Holt or did they change the name of it? Oh, the, I, the, 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 yes, the one the that fishing, follows on from... Village. Um, oh, no, no. I was, no. Right, okay. So oh, I'm thinking yeah. Nussfjord. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's 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 already out. Yeah, so oh, this um, is the, the gardening in Iceland one. That's the one, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, yes. I mean I, I, it's just the fact that his games are always just so elegant. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just... just perfectly judged and, and you know whether whether or not it's a big game that's going to take ages or a very quick one you know you're going to be involved yeah. you know all the way through so yeah break, and they've break just up. announced the third part of the Cottage Cottage Garden yeah. um, trilogy which obviously was then followed with Indian Summer and the latest one is Blimey. Yes, yeah, the name's Brilliant. the name's, oh, yeah. It's something to do with seasons. It's not winter, I don't think. Or is it winter? I don't know. Oh, well. It's spring, gone spring. It might be spring something. But yeah, exactly, exactly. I've got I, pulled a blank on that. I've seen um, quotes from him saying that it's the best one of those. Yeah, I really liked Cottage Garden. And I know James Wallace was, he. I think he enjoyed Indian Summer, but didn't find it as sort of notable as you know, yeah, the, other yeah. sort of tile placement games, which tends to be something he's, you know, perfected over the years with, yeah. between Feast for Odin and these sort of patchworky ones. But uh, Oh, God, yeah. Feast for Odin. Don't don't sneeze on don't sneeze when you're playing that. <laughs> yes. but My God. Well, yeah. And there's no abundance of Viking games out on the floor. No, no. That seems to be yes. the latest trend is Vikings. Raids. So. so raids are played today. Yes, actually. raids. I thought was pretty yeah, good, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed because uh, it's so new though. The people demoing it still were learning the rules. Yeah. So uh, I felt really, you know, I was I felt for them. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah, kind yeah. of like working with them. Yeah. I just said, look, I'm your first demo on Saturday morning, so I'm your guinea pig. Don't worry about it. Let's mm. work. We we're in this together. Yeah. So, but um, but it was by at the end it was just like I won it on something that I'd done completely accidentally because I didn't know that there was a multiplier involved on the points that you get so I kind of felt like I didn't deserve to win it because I wasn't trying it was just by accident but mm. uh, that was good fun yeah so this, I think this is from Brett Gilbert and Matthew Dunstan um, I think you're right yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Matthew um, Dunstan's a really interesting designer with the work that he does as well and he's a he's a he's a he's a scientist as well is he really I didn't yeah, know he's, that. A, he's a really talented chemist as oh, well wow. as being a games designer yeah 
happened. That's it. There's a, often a lot of crossover. Obviously, Canizio is a mathematician. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah. Klaus was obviously a dental technician, Klaus Talbot, yeah. before he uh, before he became a right. amazing board gamer as well. Well, we'll look forward to your uh, <laughs> your debut <laughs> board game retro, But um, I think that's about all the time we've got. But thanks very much again to Dan Jonin. Uh, you're welcome. It's and, my pleasure. And Aaron Duffy. Lovely talking to you. And Sam Anningworth. Thanks for Sam Anningworth. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> thanks very much, guys. Um, and thanks to all for listening. Uh, we'll be back hopefully tomorrow with uh, day three of the Tabletop Gaming Podcast where we'll be chatting to Alex and Nick Keener and Holly Gramazio. Uh, but we'll see you then. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tomorrow we'll be back with our third and final roundup from this year's UK Games Expo, where I'll be joined by Alex Sinekina and Holly Gramazio. Don't forget to swing by booth J18 in Hall 1 during the show for an exclusive subscription offer to Tabletop Gaming Magazine and your chance to grab the latest issue.